into a series that we've been doing on Wednesday night called Freedom. And it's been a life-giving series for us. And I'm kind of calling today Freedom Sunday Edition because I want to give you some insight to what we're talking about in our adult Bible study on Wednesday night. As we were going through that over the last few weeks, I just kept feeling like there were some things that I needed to share with you on a Sunday morning about how we can truly walk in freedom. Let me ask you some questions. Have you ever thought, God, have I gone too far? I mean, have you ever thought that? I, I have. Have you ever asked the question, God, have I messed up too many times? Have, have you ever questioned, like, how far does God's grace extend? Like, I know there's amazing grace, how sweet the sound, the Savior wretch like me, but like, where's the end to that grace? And am I like one decision away from experiencing the end of God's grace? Anybody ever felt that before I have? I've, I've thought that for years, right? Well, let me just answer the question before you, before you go any further. No, you haven't gone too far. And no, you've not messed up too many times. And, and God's grace is unlimited. And you're not like one decision away from his grace right now. So let me just say that. But I am convinced that the way you approach God and the way you view God is everything. If you view him in an incorrect way, if you approach him in an incorrect way, I believe this journey that we call Christianity, it can be miserable. Because some of us, we view God as this cosmic killjoy in the sky, you know? Some of us view him as our, our really powerful fifth grade teacher, you know? And if we have this misunderstanding about who God is and the way that we can approach him, it really does make it miserable. Here's what I would say. God is not sitting back waiting on you to mess up so that he can wipe you out. That is not God. That's not what he's up to. That's not what he's doing. Now, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And then we're also going to look, if we have time, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. And so you can just kind of turn both those places and hold the place there. We'll kind of go back and forth. But in Genesis chapter 3, this is kind of the fall of man, right? This is Adam and Eve being created. They're walking with God in the garden. They're experiencing the presence of God in the garden. But this is where Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, right? And, and so they did the one thing that God told them not to. If you remember, they could eat of any tree in the garden. There was the tree of life. You could eat of the tree of life. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were supposed to eat from that tree. And, and, and God said, if you do that, then, then surely you'll die. And, and so they did the one thing that God um, told them not to. And I want to read these verses, but as I do... I want you to pay close attention to Adam and Eve's response and also how God responded. All right, let's go. Verse 6 says this. The woman was convinced. She saw that this tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. Now, why did she, why did she even give consideration to this? Because the enemy, the serpent, came and tempted her and, and tested her with this fruit, told her, surely you're not going to die. God said, want your eyes to be open. And, and so, surely you're mistaken about God's intention here. And so he talks her in to this fruit. She says it looks delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give to her. So she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. It doesn't say an apple. We all think it's an apple. It doesn't say apple anywhere. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Look at verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt what? They felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Verse 8 says, when the cool of evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking. 
lot of things you can write down. I want you to underline this phrase if you're a Bible note taker. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Look at their response. In their shame, because of their choices, their response was to hide from God among the trees. But look at verse 9. Then the Lord God, searching for them, looking for them, called to the man, where are you? Now a lot of us have been taught that Adam and Eve sinned. And that God, in his holiness and his righteousness, turned his back on Adam and Eve because his holiness would not allow him to, to kind of look upon the presence of a sinful man. I don't think that's exactly accurate. Because the truth is, Adam and Eve, the, these, these guys, they misjudge God's response to their sin. Now, I don't, no, let's be honest. There's consequences to sin. There's consequences to their sin. There's consequences to our sin. But what I want you to see is God did not hide from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve hid from God, and God came searching for them. He wasn't waiting behind the tree, waiting for them to mess up so that he could lash out judgment upon them. Instead, he came looking for them. Why? Because he loved them. It's exactly why we see Jesus all through the New Testament spending time with the worst of sinners. Spending time with people that nobody else wanted anything to do with. Why would he do that? Because he loved them. Just like he loves you. And yes, there are consequences to sin. And there's consequences to our action. But it never changes the fact that God desperately loves us. Yeah. Here's an important fact. God's love for you is not based on your performance. God's love for you is not even based on your perfection. His love is based on what Jesus did on the cross for you. Amen. Now today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of what we call Holy Week. And so on Palm Sunday, this is Jesus. If you're reading the scripture, this is Jesus riding into the city. This is called the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And they're waving palm branches and they're crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna actually means save us. So they were asking God, save us. Come on, save us. And on Monday, Jesus went through the city and he was teaching and driving out the people in the temple who were making a mockery of the temple. On Tuesday, he was teaching and debating with religious leaders. On Wednesday, the chief priests began to conspire against him. On Thursday, Jesus had this last supper with his disciples, and he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that? So he prayed that the drops of sweat became blood in his body. He was betrayed and arrested on Thursday. And then on Friday, he was put on trial before Pilate, convicted of crimes he never committed, and was crucified. And on Sunday, on that first Easter morning, he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and came back to life. While they were doing those things, while they 
sinners, even in that moment, Jesus was giving his life for those very same people. Yeah. And so for those of us who think that God is searching for our perfection, that I just have a t-shirt that said, that said, Simon Peter's fishing shop. I don't even know what it is. Simon Peter's fishing shop. You catch him, you'll clean him. I don't know why that comes to my mind, but Jesus says that. And if you think that God's waiting on you to get it all together before yeah. that you can come and experience a relationship with him, Good. you're sadly mistaken. You can come to him just as you are. Yeah. Right. Just as you are. And he'll take care of the rest. See, there's two very different concepts of that we're pretty familiar with. We're familiar with this idea of religion, and we're also familiar with this idea of Christianity, right? We say we're religious people and that, that we're Christians, but I think oftentimes those are very different things. And, and I grew up for most of my life being a very religious person. And, and I'm convinced that religion can be very dangerous. Christianity is very different. See, religion is based on what I can do to measure up to God. Right? God has, has done this for me. God sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus gave his life for me, and religion says, I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing whatever I can to earn what Jesus has done for me. Or I'm going to do everything I can to measure up and deserve the sacrifice that Jesus has made for me. Do you see that religion is based a lot on what we can accomplish and what we can do? And that's miserable. And I've spent years of my life trying to measure up to what God has done for me. And if you're a person who's lived your life trying to measure up to somebody else's expectations, that's a miserable way to live your life. But that's not what Christianity is about. That's not what Jesus is about. Christianity is about what Jesus has already done for us. Yeah. I live my life constantly wondering, where do I stand with God? And there, there are days that I would literally pray, God, just, just tell me, just show me, how am I doing here? Am I doing okay? Like, am I getting this right? And, and, and I remember standing and I realized it's not about what I can get right. It's about the fact that Jesus has already done all that there is to do. Yeah. All I have to do is accept that. That's Christianity. And, and see, one of the things that I really want to talk to you about today is the fact that Jesus, the Bible says, is your advocate and that he is fighting for you. When, when he arose from the dead, and he ascended to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says that he is an advocate. He is an advocate who is, who is, who is fighting for you. We have an advocate with the Father. When we mess up, we have Jesus who is literally pleading our case and fighting for us. But I want you to realize that we also have an accuser. And the accuser is Satan himself. And we've been talking about in our Bible studies about what it truly means to live in freedom. And here's what I want you to remember. That Jesus died for you to be free from the power and the presence and the penalty of sin in your life. You can be free. You can be free from the strongholds, from the bondages, all of those things that are present in our life. Jesus died on a cross for you to experience freedom. Some of us are really struggling to be free on the battlefield of our minds. Because there is an accuser who is constantly trying to use our past and our choices to berate us and to convince us that we don't deserve God's grace 
that God doesn't love us like he does everybody else, and we can never walk in the freedom that everybody else seems to walk in. See, before you make a decision to accept Christ, and, and, and before you repent, and you're a, a, a follower of Jesus, and you've been a follower of Jesus forever, and, and, and you've, you've made some choices, and you've not repented of those choices, and, and so what do we feel as a result of our sin? The same thing Adam and Eve did. What? Shame, right? There's guilt and shame that we have in our heart and our life. And I'm going to tell you what that guilt and shame is. That is the Holy Spirit convicting us of sins in our lives. I remember my mom would tell me, son, I'm going to tell you, if you're not living right, I'm going to pray you can't even sleep. You can't even eat. And you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a praying mom right there. That you can't even eat until you're living right with God. That you get sick into your stomach. Right? My mom would pray that stuff over us. You can't even sleep until you experience God's grace. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want you to see. The moment that you <coughs> repent, the moment that you repack, we say that a lot, the moment that we make a decision, man, I want Jesus to be the Lord of everything in my life, the moment we do that, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Set you free from the power, the presence, and the penalty of sin. So here's what I would say to you. If you've repented of your sin, if you're walking with Jesus and you still are living with guilt and shame in your life, that is not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's the Come accuser on. trying to keep you He knows that you've been set free from the power of the presence and the penalty of sin. He knows that you have freedom. So what he tries to do is attack your mind and attack my mind and cause us to continue to live with the guilt and shame of our past. Now, do you really think that Jesus died for you to experience freedom, yet still be plagued with guilt and shame in your life? I don't think so. And there's some of us in the room, we just have guilty consciences. It just doesn't matter. You just, you just, you just feel it all the time. You always got to deal with a little bit of guilt. Anybody raise your hand? Yeah, we got some people that are guilty in the room. That guilty conscience gets you. When I was a youth pastor 100 years ago, there was this kid in our youth group. I, 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 I won't use names because I want to protect the innocent. And some of you know him. And this kid, any time that, that I wanted to kind of know what was going on, you know what I mean? Like you kind of felt like you're on the outside. This was before Facebook where you're actually in Instagram, Snapchat, so you didn't really have it. You know, a window into everything's going on. You actually had that conversation with the kids. And so if I ever wanted to know what was going on, I, I would I would pick up Anthony Gallo and I'd say, hey, man, I want to take you out to eat. We're going to spend some time together. And I would take him to Bojangles, or I'd take him to Hardy's, and I'd sit across from him, and I'd say this. I'd say, Gallo, yeah, um, I'm a pastor. And so what that means is the Holy Spirit talks to me, and he tells me. And so I already know I just want to hear it from you. So if there's anything you need to confess, then let's hear it. And that boy, he was, he would spill it, man. It didn't matter. He'd tell you every thought, every intent, every motive, everything. And you're thinking, that was horrible. I know, it was. It was smart, too. I knew what was going on. Because here's what he would do. He would never go down alone. So then he would tell you about everybody else that was in the And the reality is, if we're walking with that kind of guilt, and we're walking, that's horrible. I feel so bad. <laughs> I try it with my, my kids now. They're like, no. <laughs> but if we're walking with 
That's the accuser who's trying his best to keep us from walking in the freedom that Jesus died for us to experience. So, so here's the question. How do we truly not just be free from the sin in our life, but how do we be free? How do we walk in freedom as it relates to guilt and shame? Now, here's where we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10. And there's a few verses of Scripture for time. We're going to hit them really quickly, but I pray you'll go back and really absorb these few verses of Scripture. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Now, that's very important because not everybody can go into the holy place. That was reserved for the priests that had no sin in their life, right? They even had bells on, on their, their garments. And if they walked into the holy place and the garments stopped making noise, then, then, then they knew that that priest had died in the presence of God and they would pull him out. Right? Like only a few people could go into the most holy place that, that God has. But this verse says that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. So what's the lesson? Believe what God has already done for you. Wow. You can walk into the yes. presence of God. You can boldly go into his room. You can, through prayer, go into his presence because of what God has already done in your life. He's not waiting on you to do something. He's already done it. All you have to do is accept what he's done in your life. Verse 20 says, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So what's the lesson? We can approach God. But we need to approach God with honesty and repentance in our heart. We do need to repent of our sin. We do need to be honest with ourselves and stop trying to act like we've got it all together. And we don't have anything that we need to deal with. That we don't have any stuff that we need to deal with. We all have some stuff that we need to deal with. And we need to be repentant about that. Verse 21 says, And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, that's Jesus, if you're wondering, Verse 22 says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences. There it is. Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled in Christ's blood to make us clean. And so my prayer is not just, Lord, that you would, that you would forgive me of sin in my life, but God, would you cleanse my conscience? Would, would you cleanse my mind? Would you cleanse my heart? The Bible says that, that when you confess your sins, that he's faithful, that he's just, and he'll forgive your sins and cleanse you from righteousness. So I pray that every day. God, would you cleanse my mind? I, I, I'm convinced that, that one of the places that the enemy has attacked me more than any other place in my life is my mind. It's a constant battle every single day. And, and we're constantly engaged in this fight on the battlefield of our mind. And I think that's why the word says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We've got some stinking thinking. And, and we need to change the way that, that, that we think. We need to change our thought process. And we need God to guard our mind. We need to ask him to cleanse our conscience. Verse 22 continues. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. And so I just, every week, I'm just going to be honest with you. I have a routine that I go through every Sunday morning before I step on the stage. And, and, and I visually, as I, as I stand here and I begin to pray, God, before I step on that stage, would you just cleanse my mind? Just wash over me. 
let your anointing rest upon me. And I just have this mental image of just this washing of, of the presence of God over me. I, I pray that every single day, that God would, would wash over me with his presence. And, and so kind of the lesson from that, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but, but I just wrote down in my notes, we've got to record over the old footage. Now, if you're a kid, you don't understand that, right? You don't get that. You just hit delete, drag it to the trash can, and keep recording. For those of us who go way back, there was tape. You know what I mean? You remember? It was cassette tapes. And you could record over that stuff. And, and there were VHS tapes. How many of you ever got your wedding video recorded by a basketball game? Some of us had that, right? Because there was something there that you wanted to keep, and you recorded something that was very important to you. And then somehow, your idiot husband, somebody, like, recorded something other that you could record over that old footage. And see, here's what the enemy has done. He's, he's put thoughts in your mind. He's put past hurts in your mind. He's, he's put past experiences in your mind, those past mistakes and choices that you've made. He's recorded that footage, and he plays it in your mind on loop over and over and over. And we, it's so crazy. We deal with the same things every day. He's not coming at us with anything new. The stuff that you've been dealing with, if, if, if we could like really dig into our stuff, he's probably throwing the same stuff at you. He's been throwing at you for years. It's not like he's got a new plan. He just puts that same stuff on loop over and over and over. And so I just had in my mind, you know what we need to do? Like we just need to erase all that old footage. We need to record over that footage <laughs> with some positive things so that can loop in our mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And put his word on loop in your mind and your heart. Amen. That's why his word says that I hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against God. What does that mean? It just means I've got his word on loop in my head. And I just think about the blessings and the promises of God in my life. I'm going to be obsessed by that. Not all that other stuff that the enemy keeps bringing in my path. Verse 23 says this. Let us hold tightly. Let us hold tightly. Without wavering to the hope of your For God can be trusted to keep his promise. What's the lesson? The guilt trip is over. The guilt trip is over. I love what Louis Diglio writes. He says that Jesus doesn't love you any more than the cross. And he doesn't love you any less than the cross. Jesus didn't die on the cross and say, okay, I've done my part, now the rest is up. Isn't that beautiful? See, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, okay, I've got mine done. Now you get your stuff together. You do your part. Now you earn it. You earn it. You live right. You be perfect. I've done my part now. You do yours. That's not what he said. What did Jesus say when he was on the cross? It is finished. It's finished. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. That is the plan of Jesus and your So there, there was kind of this constant pressure. You just kind of have to keep together. You know? Everybody's watching. You've got to keep it together. We've always done our very best to protect our kids from that kind of pressure. I love my dad. Oh, I love my dad. He's my hero. My dad's preaching on Father's Day, y'all. I'm so pumped. It's going to be great. My dad would always look at me and, 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 and that fatherly pep talk of keep your mess together, you know what I'm saying? This is what my dad would 
My dad would say, son, it's taken me years to build my reputation. It can take you seconds to tear it down. That'll mess you up right there, man. I don't want to mess up dad's reputation always. And I tell my kids this. I say, hey, look, it'll take you years to build a reputation. And it'll take you seconds to tear your own reputation down. I'm not worried about mine. I'm worried about your reputation. But somehow I grew up thinking that my relationship with God had a direct effect on my dad and how people might view him. That's a lot of pressure when you're growing up. And so I lived under this pressure to be perfect. I became a pastor really young. Like I got my first job at a church when I was a freshman in college. And so while everybody else is living it up and doing their thing, right? They're just they're having a party, you know? I, I'm in choir rehearsal leading it, you know? It's, it's a lot of pressure, man, you know? And, and, and what I, I realized is my whole life, God just had this pressure to perform and this pressure to be perfect. And there are moments where I just have to say, God, I can't do this. I can't be perfect. I can't meet some expectation. Like I'm struggling to keep the fidelity. That's why I tell you all the time that I have for years, I'm different than you are. Just because I stand 24 inches taller than you do on Sunday morning doesn't mean I've got it all together. I deal with the same temptations you do, the same doubts, the same fears. And I, I just decided I, I can't strive for perfection. And, and the moment that I admitted, God, I can't be perfect. I can't do this. I'll tell you, the biggest relief I just comes over. And I just hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, that's okay, I didn't want you to be anyway. I'm not looking for your Love. 